So Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse number 10, we, we don't look at how God operates in our lives. It says in verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace is to every man that worked good to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Now, this verse is amazing because it doesn't mean that God prefers. It means that God works through the Jew first, then the Gentile. It doesn't mean that he looks at you and prefers one to another as in apples to oranges. Now you might say, well, Brother Kenny, that's great. But how does that apply to my life? Because God didn't choose you because you were pretty. God didn't save you because your last name or because of your nationality or because the color of your skin or the language that you speak. Look at the next verse in verse 11. He said, there is no respect of persons with God. What that honestly means is there's, God doesn't pay attention necessarily to the face. He doesn't say, oh yeah, I know that one. I'm going to be good to that one. He's not a respecter of personhoods. What he honors, what he respects is the work on that old rugged cross that he wrought that Christ bled and died to make a way where there was no way. When there was no way for you and I to be right with God, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, made a way that you can have reconciliation with God. And it's not based on where you're from or who you are. It's based on his kindness at Calvary. Only one person, only one person on earth has ever had God say to them, I'm well pleased in you. And that was Jesus. When he took his three disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the Bible says in Matthew that a cloud came down and a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And throughout the life that Christ lived on this earth, he never for one moment disappointed God. He never for one moment went outside of God's will. He not only never sinned, but he never stepped outside of God's perfect will. So he not only never had a negative, he never not had a he never was exempt from the positive. He always did what was right. He always did what was good. He always pleased the Father. 
And what's amazing is that God invites you to receive that same righteousness. Because see, we don't have any righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. You, you, you know, you do a good job at something. It's a filthy rag. My perfect attendance, filthy rag. The righteousness that Christ has, has been made available to anyone and everyone that would simply believe. God imputes the pleasing that Christ did, the righteousness that Christ is and has. God imputes or gives or accounts it to you and I for believing. For simply saying yes to God. It's not the respect of persons. It's not because of where we're from or who we are, but it's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did that we can be accepted in the beloved. We can be accepted in the beloved, accepted in Christ, not because we bring anything good to the equation. You might say, I just don't feel like I'm bringing anything, you know, to the Lord. You never did. Let's get over ourselves. It's what he did. He didn't do 99.9% .9 of the work and then you did a little bit of it. He did all the work and he said, all you got to do is believe. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that don't believe. Because they say, how can that make you right with God? You got to work. You got to belong to this, you got to do that, and you got to go over here and do this. Religion is antithetical to the preaching of the cross. The, the preaching of the cross destroys all man-made religion. And there's times in our lives that we get off of it. We get off of it and then we get messed up because we get bound up in men's religion and in men's ways and we get into theological debates when it is at Calvary, at Calvary that the purchase was made and that's where righteousness is imputed. Not through men's religions. Not through our efforts. Not through our agendas not through our denominations, but through the blood of Emmanuel that washes our sins away. Through that atoning blood, he makes us righteous in God's eyes. He, in other words, justifies us before God because of our faith. It's amazing because a lot of times as we quote unquote mature in our walk with God, we get more religious. 
That's whenever our nose starts getting higher and higher in the air. Uppity, uppity, uppity. I always say some folks, if it rained, they might drown because their nose is stuck up in the air that high. And we have to watch out. We have to watch out that we don't get away from this humility that is necessary to receive this righteousness. Now let's look at this. It says that there's no respect of persons, right? With God. For as many as have sinned without the law <clears throat> shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Listen to this. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, what does it take to be justified? <clears throat> what is the doing that God needs for you and I to be justified? So most people, one of the problems in America is they don't know that they're unjustified. <clears throat> Hello? Think about what it means to be justified. If you remember an old typewriter, when it gets all the way to the end, it's unjustified. There was a justify button. You hit it, and it goes all the way back to where it started. And see, the problem with most people in America, especially in the Bible Belt, we don't know we're unjustified. We think, well, mama loved the Lord. I'm all right. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm all right. But when truth is not preached, people don't know that they're unjustified. Turn with me to, to Romans chapter 3. As Paul continues in this, we're going to look at justification for just a second before we move on. Look at verse 22, 20, 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That means there's no amount of our doing that can make us justified in his sight. No amount of our doing. But remember back what he said? It's not the hearers of the law, but the doers that are justified. So what is the doing that is necessary to get you back to where you're justified in God's eyes? What is it? Let's continue on. <clears throat> For there's no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even or specifically the righteousness of God. Which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Unto all. And upon all them 
that believe, for there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. What is it that justifies you? It's, it comes on all and it's to all that believe. That's the doing. See, God, when you, when you need to be saved, when you're not right with God, when someone is lost and wayward, God doesn't save them because of their nationality or where they grew up at or whatever. God looks at everyone, and when he sees somebody believe Calvary, when he sees somebody trust what Jesus did as Jesus bled and died, atoning for the sin of the world, as John the Baptist said. The Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. When you truly believe that, when you truly believe that was God in the flesh, on the cross, atoning for your sin, that he bled and died, washing your sin away, and that he rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave on the third day. You believe that. That's not you working. That's you saying yes to Christ working. And that's what God honors. That's what justifies you and I in God's eyes. Not who we are. Not where we're from. Not what church denomination we belong to. Not what our family name is. Not the color of our skin. Not the language that we speak. None of that. Not even whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Because all must be saved the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. Now, aren't you glad that God's not a respecter of persons? Because I, I, I think that some of us, we probably wouldn't make it if he was. Because some of us probably, if you're honest, you can probably be like, you know what, I, I really don't deserve this. Who does? And it's so amazing because sometimes we, we think highly of ourselves and we think less of others, but when you think about it, God's not a respecter of persons. In fact, God prohibited the nation of Israel from being the same way. He always has, and, and even to the church today, we're still called to operate the way that God does in this aspect. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, this is whenever Peter had gotten the dream, the vision, of the unclean animals coming down. God wasn't tempting Peter. <laughs> God was showing Peter that whatever he cleaned was clean. If God says it's clean, it's clean. That's why you can eat crawfish today. 
But whenever Peter is going to Cornelius' house, and it's two chapters, this, this story, the retelling. And, but whenever he first comes, Peter says, you know what, I came, what's going on? And Cornelius was telling him, you know, God gave me a dream. Look what Peter says in verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Whenever God, you know, God used Peter to preach to the Gentiles first. Even though Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, Peter was the first preacher to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and in order for this to happen, because Peter being a Jew was not inclined to preach to the Gentiles, but in order for that to happen, God had to give Peter revelation that God doesn't show preference to men. He prefers the work that Christ did. When anyone, no matter who they are, whether they be on death row in some prison, whether they be in some nightclub, doing stuff they ought not. Whether they be in some outhouse, in-house, penthouse, prison house, wherever they may be, whatever they've done, whoever they are, Peter got that revelation. He said, hold on. God's not a respecter of persons. He respects gives honor and glory to what Jesus did. The complete opposite of the way we think. God's smile is still stuck at Calvary. And if you'll go there, you'll get in the smile. That's what he's saying. God's blessings God's favor, God's goodness are still being poured out on the old rugged cross. And if you'll go to it, live there, don't let anybody get you off of it, you'll experience that favor, that blessing, and that goodness. You'll be a partaker of the showers of blessing. That's the only way God operates in the world is through Calvary. When we get outside of that, we disqualify ourselves from being used by God. When we begin to drift away from that old rugged cross, we are beginning to drift away from God most high. But when we draw back, when we Believe again. When we come back home and say, you know what? I surrender all again, Lord. I don't care about titles. I don't care about prestige. I don't care about any of that. I just want you. That's when we've come back to that place where God can work that righteousness in our lives. That goodness. So here, it's, it's amazing. Peter said, you know what? 
I perceive, which is pretty good, because some of us, our heads are in the clouds. We can't perceive nothing. And, 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 and you know, Peter, he was that always quick to say before he thought, before the Holy Ghost. Now he said, wait a second, I'm figuring something. The Lord's moving right now. Hold on. God, he's not respecting our persons anymore. He never did. He just saw it open up through God's work at Calvary. He that fears God and worketh righteousness. Let me go back to that. How do you work righteousness? How do you work righteousness? We just read it in Romans 3. You always let the Bible interpret the Bible. Don't let anybody interpret the Bible. Don't let somebody tell you what something really means. Let the Bible tell you what it really means. And whenever it comes to righteousness, we go back to Romans 3 and we see that God gives righteousness through faith in what Jesus did and who he is. And so when Cornelius began to believe, God sent Peter. But God's always worked that way. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. You know, I always say that God's not going to ask you to do something that he doesn't do. And you've seen that God's no respecter of persons. We get Deuteronomy twice in one day. Deuteronomy 1 verse 17 when God's given out the judge, the, the, the law and how to judge things, what he says in verse 17, you shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of men. The judgment is God's and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me and I'll hear it. He's saying, you don't show preference whether somebody's small or great. When they were judging whether somebody was right or wrong, they were commanded, they were commanded to pay no attention to whether somebody was small or great. Aren't you glad God operates the same way? He pays no attention to who's small or great, only righteousness. That's what God looks for, only righteousness. You know, sometimes when, when you, uh, you see things happen, you see a, a, a judge, you know, making a court case, maybe he knows somebody, oh, that's the mayor's son, you know, um, I know that you can give two to five years, but we're just going to give them a $10 fine because that's the mayor's son. What are they doing? They're respecting persons. They're giving that person a shorter stick in judgment than others. See, this works in the negative, but it also works in the positive. A judge that is a respecter of persons is a wicked judge. Amen. When you think about it in the negative, right? 
when you pay, when you go to court, hopefully you don't ever get a speeding ticket, but if you did, what if you went to court and the judge said, you're, you're from Louisiana? Oh, you're doing 10 years for that speeding ticket. Because I, I, I have an ex-wife from Louisiana, and I, I can't stand those folks. You're doing 10 years hard labor. Get ready. We would say, that's wicked. Why? Because that judge is wicked because he's a respecter of persons instead of being blind in the judgment. You see, on a courthouse, you'll have that lady of judgment with the blindfold on. Meaning you're not supposed to show impartiality. And what's amazing in the negative, because none of us want to get judged negatively, but it also works the same way in the positive. Because God doesn't say, Oh, you're from Louisiana? Okay, I'll save you. He says, Oh, you trust Christ. You trust Christ. That's what he respects. Look, there's one more passage in Deuteronomy I need to show you in verse uh, chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 19. <clears throat> he said, thou, will not, thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, Neither take a gift, for the gift does blind the eye of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. See, whenever you're impartial, you become perverted from doing what's right. You begin to take gifts from folks, you begin to be inclined to listen to them. And turn with me to James chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse number one. I was telling you earlier, it's amazing the way that you see God operate. Because he never asks us to do something that he doesn't do. When God asks you to love your enemies, guess what? It's because he loved you when you were his enemy. We can shout on that one. <clears throat> He didn't wait till you said you were sorry to start loving you. He, the Bible says he loved us while we were yet sinners. Isn't that good? Whenever God asks you to be patient, God's patient. God asks you to be kind to those that are unthankful. Hello, look at us. Aren't you glad God's kind to you even when you don't say thanks? How many times do we go to bed at night without thanking God for getting us through the day or we wake up not thanking God for another day, for his grace, for our family members? But God is patient and long-suffering. And I pray he doesn't have to suffer long with us. But sometimes he has to. But it's good when you know that that prodigal father, that prodigal's father is not more 
merciful and loving than our God. And if that prodigal's father would wait on the porch looking, how many of you know God does the exact same thing for his children? You want to tell me that the prodigal's father is more merciful, anticipates the return more than God? No. It's, it, and that's what's amazing is sometimes we think about those things and we forget that's where mercy comes from. It comes from God. Mercy comes from him. You can't be out merciful with God. So when you look at these stories in the Bible about the prodigal and his father and this and that, think that person cannot be more tender, more compassionate than God who gives tender compassion. You might say, well, you do that to me and I, you know, if my son spends all my money and goes out and wrecks his life, if he comes back home, I'm going to say, I told you so. That's what most worldly people do. But that's not the love of God. Because the love of God says, my son's come home. My son's come home. I don't care about this stuff. I care about you. Don't, you don't have to tell me what you did. It's no matter. I'm just glad that you're home. That's why he can write later in chapter four. When you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. When that prodigal started coming home, the father met him, didn't he? So you going to tell me that God doesn't do the same thing for you? That when you make that step of faith, you say yes to the Lord. Don't you know there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person doing that than over a Sunday school that never has one absence? That don't make sense to us. That don't make sense. Just make sure you don't get the mindset of the other brother. It's okay to be a brother. Don't be the other brother. The other brother, he said, wait a second. Where's my fatted calf? Where's my party? This guy wasted everything, and y'all are celebrating him. Where's my party? Instead of taking the heart of his father and rejoicing over the return of his brother, what he did is he inserted himself into the situation. Big old self coming right back. Instead of saying, I'm glad you're home, brother. He said, what about me? Whenever you deal with some people, they can't get past the, well, what about me? 
hey, that was a great message, but you know, I was thinking that I could do that. That was a great Sunday school lesson, but I was thinking I can do this and I, but what about when I, and sometimes we just have to take a step back, say, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart, Lord. Show to me those areas in my life where I'm selfish, self-centered, and not relying on you. And what's amazing, what's amazing in this passage, we're about to read. I know you're wondering, come on, pastor. What's amazing about this is that God does not ask you and I to do what he doesn't do. And when you talk about God being a respecter of persons, on the surface, sounds cute, sounds neat. But when you don't know if God will save you, when the enemy torments you, says you've gone too far, you've crossed the line, God doesn't love you. There's no hope for someone like you because of what you've done. That's when you'll hold a truth like this. You'll say, hold on. God doesn't respect persons positively or negatively. He respects Calvary and what Jesus did. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, somebody from Louisiana is coming, clapping his hands. But he also doesn't say, oh, great, a Louisiana guy's coming, send him away. God does not respect your personhood. He respects who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And if you'll get that concept, you'll stay in his grace. You'll live in his grace. And once you become a believer and you receive that goodness and that righteousness and that grace in your life, you have the same obligation. Just as God didn't judge you positively or negatively, just in the light of the Calvary, he wants you to look at people the same way. He wants you to look at people, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, in light of Calvary. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and good apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves? And are you become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, 
heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him. But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, draw you before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called. Now, let's pause right there for just a second. So James is setting up this difference between the rich and the poor because in their church, in their church, they would set the good rich folks in the good seats and the bad poor folks in the bad seats. And James is saying it's not that way, guys. They were zeroing in on rich versus poor, but our generation zeroes in on different delineations. Maybe their race, maybe the country they're from, the language they speak, whatever. And God is commanding us to not have faith in respect to persons. He's calling us to not judge people on their face, on the personhood, but on who they are in Christ. Because that's how God judges you. You want to begin working for your righteousness? Don't make others. And so, it's so powerful because he's saying, look, there shouldn't be this in the house of God. House of God, I always say, Calvary is equal footing. We all got to go up that hill. We all got to go up that hill and say goodbye to self. Let it go. There's no shortcuts at Calvary. And so when the Lord moves in, in this situation, I want you to I want you to see this. <clears throat> Verse eight. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Many of you know. That's a high bar. Love your neighbor as yourself. You, you're going to be like that guy that questioned Jesus. Well, who's my, who's my neighbor? Whoever's around you is your neighbor. Whoever's around you is your neighbor. In any capacity. Whether it's at church or home or work or on Social media, whoever you're around, your neighbor. Love your neighbor like yourself. It's a high bar. But it's actually one of two options. That's option one. He said, if you do that one, you do well. Look at the next option. But, if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law 
as transgressors. When, when we show partiality, we're going against God because God does not show partiality. God shows no partiality to our personhood, only to what Jesus did and our faith in that work. And when we look at other people in any other way, God considers it sin. Now, I'm not talking about people outside of Christ. Don't misunderstand. I'm talking about those that belong to Christ that may look different than us, sound different than us, maybe dress different than us, seeing different than us. God's called us to love them. Amen? And to not judge them with partiality, even if they can give you a gift. God's called you to do as he does, which is to not judge people on, the, on their personhood, but on their faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we thank you that you're merciful to us.